I want to uh, tell you stories today, uh, two stories from the Bible and uh, one a lot closer to home. First story is about Joe. Joe is a prophet and he is very popular. Uh, he belongs to a people group that are proud, strongly nationalistic and proud. I think Southlanders are um, patriotic, well his people are incredibly patriotic. And Joe is a prophet, and Joe began to prophesy that his people would expand and be successful. And this was a very popular message because for the last decades, his people had been oppressed and had been going backwards, had been suffering economically. And Joe comes along as a prophet and begins to say, actually, things are going to get better. Actually, as a nation, we're going to do well. Now, that's a pretty popular message. It was a message of hope uh, to the people. So he was received well. He was received even, uh, was credibility went over even more when within his lifetime, the words that he said came true. And his people began to expand their borders. And they began to get more money in their pocket. Uh, and they uh, began to feel better about themselves. And so Joe was uh, not only, he was popular and successful, he had a credibility uh, as a prophet. But one day God came to Joe and said to him that he was to go to some of his neighboring peoples and tell them about God. And Joe hated these neighboring people. They, they were part of the people that had been oppressing them in the past. And there was no way that Joe wanted to go and talk to those people. In fact, if he'd went, his credibility and popularity would have gone downhill. Um, if it was known that he'd gone to those other people out there, he would no longer be popular. And so Joe decides the best thing to do is take a holiday, to run away. And if you're going to run away, you might as well run away somewhere nice. And so he runs away to the Spanish coast, because sunny there, and why not have a holiday on the Spanish coast? So he thinks, there's no way I'm going to do that. I'll just hope that God forgets about this, and I'll have a little holiday on the Spanish coast, and hopefully God will forget about this matter. Uh, unfortunately, on the way, the boat he's in runs into a big storm, and uh, Joe is violently seasick. He's, been, he's vomited and vomited and vomited, and uh, he's lying down below, exhausted, um, because he's spent the last... 24 hours vomiting up everything he's got within him, and so he's trying to rest down below. The sailors are a fairly superstitious lot, and they think someone's got to be to blame for the storm, uh, and so they eventually figure out it's Joe. Joe is the one who's to blame. They haul Joe up and say, Joe, what have you done? Uh, and Joe admits he's running from God. His Spanish holiday is actually just an escape from what God was saying. And so Joe, in the end, gets thrown overboard. And he ends up in the, the belly of a whale. So he's gone from having a holiday on the Spanish coast to suddenly being in this dark, stinking uh, belly of a whale. And, and it's hell. I mean, it stinks. Uh, the acid, the stomach acid of the whale is burning his skin. Uh, he can barely breathe. Uh, it's hell on earth. And so Joe decides maybe he better do what God had said because things can't really get any worse. And so Joe says, he gives in. He says, God, I'll, I'll do it. He didn't really want to do it, but I mean, he 
look where he is, he's in the valley of a fish. Uh, he's been there for three days, so he thinks I might as well. And so uh, eventually the whale spews him up and he goes and preaches to those other people. And much to his horror, much to his horror, they turn to God. It's the last thing he wanted. And those other people that he can't stand and they turn to God and the story ends. The story of Jonah ends in the Old Testament with Jonah sitting outside the city bemoaning to God about what has happened. And the very last verse of Jonah says, uh, Jonah, uh, God says to Jonah, why should I not care for the 120,000 men and women and animals that live in Nineveh? It's a classic story of racism. People of Nineveh were cruel, uh, known to be cruel. They used to cut the ears off people uh, while they're still alive. Uh, they used to gouge out the eyes of prisoners. They were known to be cruel. That was their government. The reality is that, that these people that Jonah so hated, that they were, most of them were men and women just going about their lives, trying to earn a living and see their kids grow up in peace and get married. But Jonah can only think they're those other people. And we're better than them. Not only is it a story of racism, but today I want to emphasize the fact it's a story of God calling Jonah out of his comfort zone. Calling Jonah out of his comfort zone. The Israelites had become smug, they'd become interested only in themselves, and God challenges Jonah to move out of his comfort zone to those other people. The second story, and some would argue that this story, you might not have heard this comparison before, but some would argue that this story I'm about to tell is the New Testament equivalent of the story of Jonah. And it's the story of the early church in Acts. And there's two ways you can read this book of Acts. Uh, you can read it as this incredible success story of the gospel spreading throughout the world. Or there's an alternate reading of how you can see Acts, and you can see it as a story very similar to Jonah. See, Jesus had told the disciples just before uh, when he, he rose again and uh, before he went up to heaven, he told the disciples they were to go to the ends of the earth, to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, spreading the good news. And then God gave them this powerful supernatural demonstration of his heart. They're waiting. Uh, it's Pentecost. There's all these uh, nationalities gathered for the Pentecost uh, celebration, the Jewish uh, festival in uh, Jerusalem from all different nations around the world and the disciples start speaking in tongues and these people hear uh, God speaking in their mother tongue. And there's fire, flames of fire and there's a sound of wind. I mean, it's a powerful, I mean, to the thickest of the thick, this is the most powerful illustration you can imagine of God's heart for the nations. But the disciples aren't moving. They're staying in Jerusalem. They don't want to go outside Jerusalem. In Acts 7, we see, it says that uh, the teaching of Jesus filled Jerusalem, it says. 
filled Jerusalem. Thousands. The church was in the thousands by this stage. But the disciples weren't going to move from Jerusalem. So God sends persecution and the believers are scattered. And Philip, now it's not Philip the Apostle Philip, uh, it's quite confusing, there are two Philips in the New Testament. This is Philip, the one who is uh, appointed by the apostles to help care for the widows, uh, the non-Jewish uh, widows in Jerusalem. Philip uh, went uh, and began to preach to the Sumerians. The Jews hated Sumerians, uh, but he began to preach to the Sumerians. And uh, it says that they also turned to Christ. The apostles heard about it, uh, they went to visit, they checked it out, and sure enough, it's the real deal. Uh, there's a revival happening in Samaria. Uh, do the apostles start preaching to, to the Samaritans? Well, yeah, it says they did, but then it puts this little line, on their way home. On their way home, they preached to the Samaritans, back to Jerusalem. Eventually, God sends a vision to Peter one of the apostles, and he gets it three times to go to the house of Cornelius, who was a prominent Gentile, non-Jew. He goes there. Cornelius and his household get uh, converted, soundly converted. Peter goes back home. The apostles say, you did what? You ate with a Gentile? You did what? You... And, and he, Peter has to explain. And uh, there's a classic line that says... Uh, the apostles eventually conceded and they said, well, uh, God has even granted the Gentiles, even granted the Gentiles repentance unto life. Clearly, they had not comprehended God's heart for the world. Some Christians went to Antioch and preached there and there's mass conversion. Did the apostles go and check it out? No. They sent Barnabas. Barnabas, you go and check out what's happening there. Why were the apostles not willing to move from their comfort zone, from Jerusalem? We don't know. Was it family reasons? Was it because they saw themselves as um, sort of the, the key head honchos and Jerusalem was going to be the base and they wanted to be in charge? I'm not sure. We don't know. Was it fear? They weren't willing to move outside their comfort zone? We don't know. But as you read the book of Acts, the apostles gradually fade out of the picture and the focus goes on Saul. God raises up Saul and uh, a band of um, disciples around him and uh, they head out and, and uh, there are more and more Gentiles being converted and it all comes to head in Acts 15. Because what the Jews in the towns where they were being converted were saying, well, to these new Gentile disciples, well, you've got to come to the synagogue because that's where we meet and if you come to the synagogue, then you've got to be circumcised. You've got to become a Jew. So there's a big row about this. Acts 15, they eventually get together, have this huge conference to debate this. And eventually the apostles concede, actually, you don't need to be a Jew to come to Christ. They actually seemed to get it. AD 70, Jerusalem is, is sacked, uh, is wrecked by the Romans, is totally destroyed. And uh, it's 40 years after the apostles were given the message to go out of their comfort zone and begin to spread the gospel. Tradition says that all but one of them left Jerusalem. James died in Jerusalem. The rest were scattered. 
began to preach. Thomas, uh, church tradition says he went to India, John to Asia Minor, Peter to Rome, Andrew to the Black Sea area, others to Ethiopia, Syria, and perhaps Arabia. Acts is not a dissimilar story to the story of Jonah, a reluctance to step outside a comfort zone to share the love of God. Third story I want to tell is a story a lot closer to home. It's a story of Johan, or Johan, not sure how you say it, Johan, I think, Wallers. Uh, lived in Germany in the 18th century, uh, 1800s, a farmer. When he sensed God calling him to the mission field, he went to seminary, became an ordained minister, was sent out to New Zealand to Nelson. He was in Nelson and uh, didn't want to stay there because there was lots of missionaries there already. So eventually he made his way down to Ruapuki uh, Island in the Ruapuki Island in the Favo Strait. Now, some of you might not know Ruapuki Island. There it is uh, in the Favo Strait. It's about 16 hectares. It's a privately owned uh, island. There's a picture of it, another picture of it there. Uh, hopefully I've got the right island, according to the internet. Uh, he went there. Uh, there were around 200 Māori uh, on the island. Um, it was the stronghold of um, the Māori in the south. Chief uh, Tuawaikai had signed the Treaty of Waitangi here in 1840. Johan um, arrived in 1844. It says he had a gun, an axe, a saw, a sack of flour, bag of salt, and one bag with his clothes, and assumably a Bible. Conditions were terrible. Uh, the Māori were dispirited. Uh, they lived in little hovels that were flea-ridden. Uh, they had lost all hope. They were dying. They had intermarried um, with sailors. Um, they were dying. There's actually no word in uh, the local dialect for, the, for hope. There was no word. They didn't have a word for hope. They lost hope. As a people, they were dying faster than they were being born. Um, Johan on this island, uh, he, he stayed with the chief for a while and then uh, eventually uh, had a house. He single-handedly built this church. Uh, and uh, there's a picture of it there. Uh, and he learned, taught himself to reo so he could preach in basic to reo. He was there for three and a half years uh, and he got incredibly lonely. He was near starving, sick, and seriously depressed. He was continually uh, tempted to give up. He went to the mainland, to the South Island. He went to the mainland uh, to recuperate, mission station there, and then a bit later he headed back, was there for another year and a bit, again left sick and seriously depressed. During that second uh, time that he was there, he'd been joined by another German missionary uh, who he didn't get on with, who was a proud, so arrogant guy. And the mission that had sent them in Germany had just dumped them there. So, so they didn't get any ongoing support. And when they dumped the second guy there, it sort of halved his resources. So he had even less resources, and he didn't get on with the guy uh, anyway. Second time he uh, went back to uh, the South Island, his friends helped him find a wife, uh, Eliza. Uh, now, she must be one very tough woman. I don't know how he sold this to her. Uh, he met her, they introduced them in Wellington, they had a week's courtship, then they got married. 
was fairly short. Um, I don't know how he persuaded her to do this, but um, you know, I've got this beautiful um, crib on an island somewhere. Um, anyway, they came back in 1848 to this place, the ends of the earth. In 1850, they built a little house. There's the remnants of the house there. Uh, 1850, they've been there just a bit over a year. The house burnt down. They lost all their possessions, everything. Even the clothes they're wearing, it says, had holes burnt from the fire uh, in them. But Mrs. Wallace uh, was, uh, as I say, one very tough, dedicated lady. She made a huge difference to the mission statement. She trained local girls. She showed families how to care for their sick. Uh, she taught in the, the little government school there that she taught in. And gradually, both Maori and European from the island and from the settlements of Stewart Island and, and around the, the whaling stations around the south began uh, to visit the island for spiritual counsel, for baptism, and for teaching. Uh, Johann uh, conducted worship, taught in a school with his wife, acted as the register of births and deaths and marriages. Uh, he was there uh, for over 30 years. At the end of his time there, he was able to make this incredible statement. He said, there are no heathen proper now in the whole of my district. The entire population may be looked upon as a Christian community. It's pretty amazing, pretty amazing statement. In his old age, when um, uh, many had left the island, he and his wife sort of retired uh, to Stewart Island. Uh, their grave, they both died there. Uh, their grave you can still visit uh, there on the island. Uh, it's their grave site, a painting of it, and there's a picture of it currently. Forty years from when they left, or when he left Germany, with no support, no encouragement, they laboured faithfully the ends of the earth, right on our doorstep. This is a man of, a hero of the faith that we should celebrate. Incredible story of patience and courage and perseverance. A man who left the comforts of Germany and the culture of Germany to live on this tiny island at the ends of the earth and right on our doorstep. What is my point in these stories? My point is simply this that throughout history, God has called people to leave their comfort zones and to go to other places to share their faith. Throughout history, God has called people to leave their comfort zones because God is a mission-sending God. It's very hard of who He is. I'm not suggesting that God is sending us all overseas, but I am suggesting this morning that God might be calling us out of our comfort zone to cross barriers of race and education, any kind of barrier. Might be that God is nudging us to befriend someone who is different from ourselves. Maybe from a different world, a different culture. Maybe someone from a different generation. And that call out of our comfort zone, like Jonah, can cut across our prejudice. That call out of our comfort zone can cut across our security, maybe like the apostles. God wants to call us out of our comfort zone. The crowning example of that is God calling Jesus. It says in the Philippians that, you know, Jesus left the culture of heaven. Imagine the culture of heaven and what heaven was like. Out of that comfort zone into this world, a violent, sin-ravaged world. 
you want to get, understand what the uh, Palestine was like when Jesus entered Palestine, in the years preceding uh, Jesus' birth, Palestine had lost 150,000 men killed in revolution. That's more men uh, than were killed in the First and Second War in New Zealand. Uh, it, was a, it was a conflict-ridden place of hatred and simmering tension. And into this environment, Jesus is called. It says in Philippians 2 that he left. And we must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Although he is God, he did not think of equality with God, something to cling to. He said he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being and appeared in human form, died a criminal's death. You see, I passionately believe that God is calling us to step out of our comfort zone and that God is truly glorified and a church is diversified. And as we reach out to different cultures, as we reach across different generations, as we reach across uh, to people of different socioeconomic background, whether they be in prison or whether they be uh, people uh, who uh, have PhDs, but as we reach across barriers, we need uh, uh, the very love that, that uh, Paul talks about in Philippians. We need this attitude of Jesus Christ. Because just before that passage, he said, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love? He said, to make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together. Don't be selfish. Don't try and impress. Be humble. Thinking of others and other cultures is better than ourselves. You see, when you get a whole group of diverse people together, uh, then actually the, the risk of offense is even greater. Uh, the risk of misunderstanding, the, the risk of simply uh, not feeling included is huge. That's one of the reasons why I believe God is calling us out of our comfort zones, to, to, uh, to listen to where God is maybe encouraging you to step out and cross a barrier. It might be your neighbor across the road. It could be anyone that's maybe different from yourself. I believe God is calling us out of our comfort zone to build relationships with people who are different from ourselves, to enter another person's world just as Jesus entered our world. I want to end with a quote, one of my favorite quotes. Uh, Judson was the first um, American missionary and he was the first missionary to Burma, Myanmar. He was lying in a Burmese dungeon, shackled with chains to a fellow prisoner, uh, with a fellow prisoner. Uh, he'd labored there for years before he got chucked in prison. He'd never seen one person come to faith. He'd moved out of his comfort zone, he'd moved out of America, labored faithfully, was now in prison. His fellow prisoner asked him with a sneer, what are the chances of you seeing anybody come to faith? And Judson seemingly replied to him. Remember, he's never seen anyone come to faith. He's labored there for years. He's currently chained in prison. Judson's reply was, the prospects are as bright as the promises of God. The prospects are as bright as the promises of God. I believe that as we cross 
barriers of culture of any difference at all. Uh, we'll begin uh, to see God move and work. God is glorified in a diverse church. And as we move outside of our own comfort zones of even the church itself and into neighborhoods, into different places, whether they be people who are different from ourselves, whether they be intellectually disabled, whether they be of a different culture, a different race, whether they be of a different generation that we can't relate to, that we will see God move incredibly. And we'll be witness uh, to Judson's faith where he says the prospects are as bright as the promises of God. Holy Spirit, we invite you just to speak to us Today, this morning, we ask God that there's someone that you're placing on our heart that we need to interact with. You'd show us who they are. Just bring them to mind now by your spirit. God, I pray you'd give us courage to cross the barrier, whatever it might be, of fear, security, or insecurity, of racial prejudice, whatever it might be, God. Encourage, uh, help us, Lord God. Give us the courage to cross those barriers, to build those relationships for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.